January 28th. Our Bible reading today in the New Testament will be from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 21, through chapter 19, verse 12. We'll read about forgiveness. Peter wanted a rule to obey, which shows he was not in the spirit of what Jesus taught. See, the parable is not about salvation, but about forgiveness among God's people. We are to forgive others because God has forgiven us. And He's forgiven us at great cost to Himself. It is possible to receive forgiveness, but not truly experience forgiveness in our hearts. Therefore, we have a hard time sharing forgiveness with others. When you have an unforgiving spirit, you put yourself in prison spiritually and emotionally. You pay dearly for the luxury of carrying a grudge. Is it worth it? And in Matthew chapter 19, let Jesus heal your marriage. Some practices are lawful, but not biblical. So follow the principles given in Scripture. God's original plan was one man for one woman for one lifetime. But He made a concession for Israel and permitted divorce. Divorce is not given as the solution to the problem. It takes a change of heart for two people to make a new beginning. And only Jesus can change hearts. But before you run away, run to God and seek His help. And now let's begin our reading today here in the New Testament. January 28th, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Through chapter 19, verse 12. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, Jesus replied, Seventy times seven. For this reason the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process... One of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So the king ordered that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the king and begged him, Oh, sir, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then the king was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and jailed until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him what had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison until he had paid every penny. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. After Jesus had finished saying these things, 
he left Galilee and went southward to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Vast crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one separate them, for God has joined them together. Then why did Moses say a man could merely write an official letter of divorce and send her away? they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce as a concession to your hard-hearted wickedness, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, a man who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, Then it is better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made that way by others. And some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone who can accept this statement. Isn't it amazing that sometimes to reach the sinner, you got to make church folks upset. Sometimes the very folks that act like they're the holiest don't understand that sometimes you got to get out of the box. you got to do something different than the way it's always been done to reach somebody who's lost. But honey, Jesus has some people that know the value of him finding you in your hiding place. Jesus has a way of putting you at odds with yourself and creating a scenario for you because what he's really insinuating by that as well is that if I, the same grace that came to find you didn't stop with you, why is it that people want to receive grace and then draw a line behind themselves and say, once I got over, that's, how, that's where grace goes right there. But the same grace that found you is the same grace that will find somebody else. If God will come find you when you're lost, the good news is he'll find somebody else when they're lost. I got a little bit more to preach here today, but before I get on, I want somebody to thank God for salvation. I want somebody to thank God that he came to get you. I want somebody to say he was willing to upset somebody to come find me. Hallelujah. Woo. I remember when God really made this clear to me. I had flown to Sweden, Stockholm, Sweden. And I was getting ready to speak to 6,000 leaders from over 60 nations, mostly Eastern Europe and the Middle East. And I remember... I landed early in the morning in Stockholm and I had all day to pray in my hotel room because you really, you know, you don't speak English or Swedish and so you don't have a lot to do. So I'm praying in my hotel room and I judged a certain situation to be good. And I remember in that hotel room, the Holy Spirit very sternly said to me, no son, it's not good. And he gave me scripture to support what he was saying. And I found myself getting in a re little wrestling match with the Holy Spirit. And finally, I just kind of put my foot down and I said, but God... 
all the good that's come out of this situation. And then the Lord said this to me, and this is what impacted me forever. He said, son, it wasn't the evil side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Eve was attracted to. It was the good side. And I remember when he said that, my Bible's laying there on the bed in the hotel room, and I flew over to Genesis, and when I saw the words, when the woman saw the tree was good, and the word good literally leapt up off the page at me. She saw it was pleasant. She saw it was desirable. She partook. And I'm standing there in shock in this hotel room, and all of a sudden God says to me, he said, son, there is a good that will lead people away from me. And all of a sudden now, I realize in that hotel room how Jesus' words would be fulfilled. You know, when any, anybody asked Jesus what it was going to be like in the last days, the days right before he returns back, do you know what the first thing he says is? Be careful that you're not deceived. Now, there is only one problem with deception, and that is this. It's deceiving. The person who's deceived believes with all their heart they're right, when in reality, they're wrong. That's scary. And then Jesus goes on to say the deception is going to be so potent that if possible, the elect are going to be deceived. Now, that used to bother me. I thought the elect are Christians. How are Christians going to be deceived? And in that hotel room, all of a sudden I realized it's not drug infested parties. It's not satanic rock concerts. It's not sexual orgies. They're going to deceive, if possible, the elect. It's going to be evil that is masked with good. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. Though Psalm 23 is often read at funerals, its message appeals to the days of your life right now. The Savior who died for you also lives for you and cares for you, the way a shepherd cares for the sheep. If you can say, The Lord is my shepherd, you can also say, I shall not want. The shepherd feeds us and leads us. Sheep must have grass and water to live, and the shepherd finds those essential elements for them. God meets the everyday needs of your life as you follow Him, so never worry. If we wander, He seeks us and restores us, as He did with David, Jonah, and Peter. When we need to know which way to go, He shows us the right path, and then goes before us to prepare the way. Even in the places of danger, we need not be afraid. He's with you. At the end of the dark valley, He has a special blessing for you. You drink of the refreshing water of life, and you receive the Spirit's anointing. The shepherd is there to care for every hurt and heal every bruise. One day, you will look back at your life and see that it was only goodness and mercy and that includes the valley experiences. If life is difficult today, just keep following the shepherd. He will never lead you, for he cannot care for you. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. 
He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his incredible folly.